We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Today's date is August 31st, and I'm actually in Portland, Oregon. And Portland, Oregon. Am I saying that right, Kyle? Yeah, Oregon. you're saying that right. Yeah. Doing it all right. That means I'm in the hometown of Kyle Tige. Uh Kyle is the site manager, the head honcho over at canisupus.com, and one of my favorite uh, people to talk wolves with. So, being as you know that I'm here um, doing a little road trip. I wanted to make a point to, to get together with you. What's up? What's happening? Uh, not much. I'm glad you had me on. Welcome to the West uh, Coast headquarters for Wolves fans. It is. That's um, what I it was is. excited. I was hyped when you gave me a text and said, hey, I'm going to be here. So, um, And when, when you originally told me you were coming out, we were like, okay, let's try to think of a way that we can get excited about the seventh pick in the draft. <laughs> um, and then when they won, after I got done crying, I called you and I was like, okay, now we definitely have to record. So <laughs> this is good timing. Good timing for us. You know, I, I think that was, for me, you, obviously, you and I were talking, and, and I'm just the way my brain works, I was looking probably at the lottery, like, a little too objectively and mathematically, just like, oh, we're, we're probably going most likely to get four through seven, something like that, and I guess didn't even really consider, you know, one, so when it happened, I, I felt like that day, it, it kind of took me a little while to, like, wrap my head around it, and as you said, we, we talked to each other, you know, like, this is a, actually a really big deal, like, Think what you want about the prospects. It's it's a big deal. That doesn't happen. It's it's rare. And and I think you kinda of opened my eyes up to the fact like this is something to be to celebrate, to be excited about. And I yeah. Well, I mean, if you're a Wolves fan, this is the biggest win since essentially the biggest win since game eighty two when they made the playoffs. You know sure. what I mean? Like that's yeah. and again, that's sad. And <laughs> if you know me well enough, you know that I'm always a little, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid because that's at this true. point, as I've gone on rants before there's no reason to cheer or follow this team if you hate them. Like, right. you can go be a fan of any other team you want with all social media and league pass and all that stuff. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it was a big, big deal. Anyone who was even remotely thinking before the lottery, um, the Wolves might move up, was lying to you. Again, that's what we do. Like, we set ourselves up for like, hey, the, I mean, we texted each other a couple of days, like, that seventh pick wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> and they were like, well, you know, and then as the lottery was going on, I think when they got to the top four, I called you, and I wasn't crying yet, but I was like, okay, four is awesome. Like, they could do a lot of shit with four. Yeah. And then it got to three and two. I was like, oh, no. So, yeah, and then they win, and then immediately, you know, and again, I understand it from being a longtime fan, but just the general reaction was like, well, of course they won. That's the most Wolves thing in the worst draft since Anthony Bennett. And I was just at a loss for words because it's like you understand how much worse all of this could be if they were just at seven. You know what I mean? Like even if there's no Zion this year, there's no uh, Towns or nothing like that, it's just they they have a better asset than they had than Way if they better. were at seven. Way and it doesn't, it's not even close. So if worst case scenario, they have the burden with air quotes of having to move <laughs> back and trade it for not exciting pieces. Um, again, we'll probably get into this, but like at worst case scenario, if you traded back and you took on Harrison Barnes, like you got a free asset. Right. So winning the lottery was a big deal because it gives, there's a lot of teams two through seven that wanted to win. And they're lying to you if they say, well, this is a bad draft. We're okay at four. No, they're lying to you. Mm-hmm. The Knicks don't want to be at eight. Right. The Knicks wanted to be at one. And we have a lever- we have leverage. And you rarely have that as a Minnesota fan. Totally. And there might not be every team in the lottery who really feels like moving up to, to where the Wolves are. But it is just wrong to say that there won't be a team that would pay something to get up to one. So... If you if you are the wolves, you you know you assess that and yes, it's not going to be the return that you would get in maybe a previous draft for number one, but <laughs> the asset value is undeniable. And I think it's kind of silly when we hear you know people referencing like the salary of oh it's going to oh. be four years forty four million <laughs> rather than like four years thirty seven million, and it's like no like that that, that is such a small like percentage of a percentage of the impact of, of, of what this, this asset overall is. So, you know, you're right. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's something that totally shapes the way that we go into looking at this this year. You know, you kind of grab the excitement of that, and now you take it and you say, what is it that Gerson Rosas, you know, can, can do with this? And that was kind of just our, our general plan for talking today was just, I don't know, state of the Timberwolves sounds like way too serious of a title, but... But that's what I want to do. I just kind of want to you know, talk about this and look at, um, you know, look at not only where the Wolves are now with the number one pick in hand, but where, where they can go with it, which I think is a step I've taken kind of in these other two pods. But also, and just kind of when we were talking about an outline here, comparing them to where the other teams in, in the league are. You know, obviously there's, there's these different tiers and – I think it's a good point, you know, by you. It's like I think we should have a conversation about comparing where this Wolves team is compared to some of the other middling teams in the league. It's probably unfair to just say that the Wolves are one of the bottom five teams in the league, even though they had the third worst record. Right. There's plenty of reason to to like this more than you like the Caps, right? Or or some other teams like that. And and so yeah, so we're gonna do that and, and get into just kind of comparing and contrasting where the Wolves are. But I thought Sam Vecini's um, article he wrote today was awesome. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was really great and <laughs> it is the deepest of deep dives. Like Sam wrote, if I don't know if I think he says in the beginning that he's going to do this on all the teams. I mean, he that alone is worth this subscription to the Athletic cuz he posted like, I don't know, 20,000 words on the Timberwolves. 
And and it's just an, another pet peeve of mine is is how the the wolves can tend to be overlooked in the national media, and just that it it doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> that they don't matter to a national writer in compared to other teams because they're like, why am I going to invest my time writing 5,000 words about the Wolves when I could write it about the Warriors? That'll get me more clicks. That'll get me all those things. So I, I love the type of writers who take are just as diligent about covering what are the, the Wolves or the Hornets or the Cavs as they are, you know, about, about covering the, some of the bigger teams. And so I thought Sam's article was great. He really nails it. Like, yeah. he doesn't miss stuff. Nope. So, so we're just going to kind of use that um, to, to guide us through – our conversation today, he talks about um, the on-court questions of Towns and Russell. Um, he, he gives six options for what they could do with the number one pick. Talks about some options at number 17 and 33, the Wolves' other picks. Talked about the value of Culver and Akogi, which I think is something we can get into a little bit. Um, the other young pieces on the roster. Talks about the salary cap situation. Discussed whether or not um, it makes sense to, to lock into this group versus some roster flexibility. And then just kind of how he kind of wrapped it up with just how everything this summer will really be an inflection point when the time comes a couple of years down the road from now when we're talking about Carl Anthony Towns either signing a new contract with the Timberwolves or potentially being traded. And, yeah, I think that the conver- that conversation doesn't start now, but when that conversation happens, um, the moves that happen in this offseason will be a part of it. So um, we can definitely meander a bit, but I think – um, we should use just Sam's article as some some guidance as an outline for for our conversation today. So, what um kind of from starting at the top there, when he talked about the the on court sort of fits of Towns and Russell, what was your kind of a, uh, initial takeaway from that? Well, I mean, he kind of just echoes at a national level what everyone has talked about, whether it be on a small level or a micro level or just you know everyone talks about the Towns Russell pairing as they have a lot of questions, um, and we'll probably dive into this a little bit later about just other teams and the questions they have. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they talk about the offensive potential that those two have, and then they talk about the just defensive struggles that they're going to have, whether or not they sign guys like Beasley and stuff and bring in more offense. And I think Sam references, like, are they just going to try to score buck 50 every night and just yeah. out you know outrun teams? Or are they going to try to use all their draft capital to really hone in and find their, their younger Robert Covingtons, their P.J. Tuckers, mm-hmm. all that stuff? Um, and, and it's a good point. And again, too, I think the thing that allows a national writer or even someone like one, you or I to be critical is that they played one game. You know, I mean, there's that Raptors game. That's yeah. all we've ever seen of Carl and D'Angelo play together. So it's like you can sit there and just say a lot of things like, well, I have questions. I got to wait until I see it because we literally haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. So um, but so he brings up good points. But I just I, I go back to. And this is, I know, I know I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm just so ramped up right now. But, like, <laughs> I just, I, would, would you rather be sitting here right now with Andrew Wiggins and Carnathy Towns or D'Angelo Russell and Carnathy Towns? So, to me, yeah. it's, like, a no-brainer. So, it's just, like, yeah, they have some defensive issues and they got to work it out. And that's why Vanterpool's here. And that's why Rosas is the creative guy he is. But, um, but they also have, it's just weird how people shit on Carnathy Towns and Russell and I don't know if it's because it's a small market thing, but it's like just kind of gloss over that both of them have made all-star teams. You know, like, yeah, maybe D'Angelo Russell's was inflated that one year because he kind of just, sure. you know, like, I don't know, you and I have made an NFL Pro Bowl. You know what I mean? Like everyone <laughs> makes a Pro Bowl. So, yeah, last year he kind of made an all-star team. But he is an all-star. He's 23 years old. Like, that stuff matters. Um, so I thought, I thought, I thought Vassini highlighted that they're going to have to really address everything else on this roster to be just guys that help 
do the things that Towns and Russell don't want to do, sure. whether that's protect the rim for Carl or, you know, defend the perimeter because D'Angelo, he makes some good points there just about how not physical he is. Yeah. And, um, for him to even be, he's never going to be a good defender, and you know that better than anyone, but can he at least do, like, Damian Lillard stuff? Like, can he, like, get right. a stop? <laughs> right. No, I, I thought that was that was the parallel. I mean, that's what he drew was, was Vanterpool's connection to Portland and how – in 2017-18, when Portland really made their that like first jump jump, they went from being one of the worst defensive teams in the league to being eighth overall in defense. And then the following year, his last year there, they're 15th. Still very competent, but um, average. But you know when you do have a, a small backcourt that isn't that is Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, you know that's that's not doing you any favors just personnel wise defensively and then and then he note, noted that they dropped to 28 this year once Vanderpool left and obviously people who are kind of fami- more familiar with my work know that um I, I've had you know questions about it mostly just curiosities about seeing Cat do some things differently and to me what really stood out in what Sam wrote about their on-court fit is that he was pretty adamant about the idea that this is the right defensive scheme for Carl yeah, that, was, in, that was really interesting. I picked it, up on that too. Just saying that, you know, Cat has the, you know, the short area quick, quickness and length, you know, to be that dropping big, the, you know, the Brook Lopez or the Yusuf Nurkic to, to the, to the Portland example. And, and Sam said in quote, he's a liability out in space. Yeah. He had a, he had a good little uh, anecdote about like Carl's, uh, what is it like his lateral movement or something about his strides? I think mm-hmm. that that make it hard for him to be fully switching yep. because his strides are a little tough to keep up with guys that are faster than him. So yeah, I thought that was actually that was one of the bigger takeaways is that we always talk about you are always on it about the drop scheme and if that's a good idea going forward. Um, and according, I mean Sam's a really well-respected guy and he thought, like you said, that that's yeah that's what they should be doing. It's which is interesting to me and you know I mean. My personal stance is is more than anything kind of liking to see a little bit of diversity of, of scheme just because, you know, Carl's functionally been playing a very similar defensive scheme the entirety of his career, right? And what we know about the entirety of his career is the Timberwolves have been terrible at defense for the entirety of his career. So to me, like, my the logic in my brain goes, maybe we need to see some other things. And, and when I see Sam write that liability out in space, I go – all right, yeah, I, I know I know how how Cat's body moves and and like he's not going to be some super freak athlete switchy defender out there. But I don't think we've seen enough examples to know that Cat is in fact a liability in space. And and I, I think I still kind of do disagree with the premise that that this is for sure the best yep. scheme for them. And you know, I. <laughs> David Vanderpool, probably Sam Vecini, like a lot of people are, are much more well-versed than I am, but it, it is, it's this kind of constant like conflict I personally have when I think about the team, and I've been thinking about it in this Denver series, like Denver just getting worked over and over again, and one of my strongest like things I've stood on is, look at what Denver did. They, they took Jokic, they started playing Jokic out more aggressively, they stopped dropping him, and all of a sudden, you know, Denver had this like ascension defensively, just like Portland did but by not dropping. And um, to me, I feel like I've been using that as a proof, like do this, do this, use Cat how you use Jokic. And, and then if I'm being fair, like I have to acknowledge the fact that that hasn't worked for them. Right. The second half of this year, I mean, they've gotten absolutely roasted, basically 
you know, since the trade deadline and then particularly in the playoffs. So I go, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, is this, <laughs> would they both, I don't know what the right option is, maybe particularly in playoff basketball, because I think we're seeing it even with an awesome defensive team like Milwaukee, they dropped their big back and now we're playing in this league where four or five dudes can shoot out on the floor at all times. That's a swing, swing away from like having an open shot all the time. So I don't know. I, I go, I go back and forth and I really just find it. I find it interesting to, to hear different people's perspective on it. I think my personal one is still an argument for diversity of the scheme, but I thought that was, I thought it was a, an interesting way that Sam kind of set this all up and used it um, to sort of frame how he would build out the Wolves roster going forward um, in that kind of defensive construct. And that's, that'll frame how he would use the number one pick. That would frame how he would use, um, you know, a trade or some other sort of free agent acquisition. And I don't know if that's right. I don't, I don't know if it's wrong, but I feel like it's a pretty important, it's a pretty important like thing to get right, right. in this whole cat situation is what is the best defensive way to use Carl Anthony Towns. Right. Yeah, that, and that's that's the million-dollar question. But I also think, too, going back to that Denver series, like after Game 7, one of those teams is going to leave the bubble, Denver or Utah. And whoever leaves the bubble, is when they go home to their smaller market, they're going to start talking about their defense. You know what I mean? So like, let's just say Utah right. pulls it off in Game 7. They're going to talk about how awesome Jamal Murray was offensively, just a human torch. But he's also just been egregious defensively. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like... Whole team has, yeah. I, I, yeah, that's, that's just my thing, too, is like I just... Again, not to put just a positive spin on that, but that's all I'm going to do for this hour is just like (laughs) we just are so hyper focused on our small market little team and how bad they are in defense. But then we just love turns out there's other good. We love to pimp out these teams like Denver. I mean, like you said, Russell's not in the playoffs or, you know, Murray's killing it. But like, I don't I don't know if I don't know if D'Angelo Russell can go back to back 50, 45, 50. But like he could. Mm -hmm. You mean like in a series against a Utah, like there's no reason in next year that. D'Angelo couldn't drop three straight 40s and have a performance like Jamal Murray Wall just getting baked on the defensive end. But those special scores sometimes, I mean, there's Jamal Murray's never going to defend. He's just, he's not built for it. Either is D'Angelo Russell. Right. But I just, and neither is Damian Lillard. Yeah. Like, and I just, you can still be a very good player. Right. And I just, I don't, I don't always agree with the, just sort of the concept that D'Angelo Russell has this like firm ceiling and it's, pretty low is what seems to be the consensus given what he is defensively or has been defensively thus far in his career. And what that is, is like a problem at the point of attack. Like you probably need to hide him defensively. Like there are physical issues there, but to your point, whether it's Jamal Murray, or we want to talk about someone even better, like Damian Lillard, like those are problems that those way better teams acknowledge in, in their own infrastructure. And they make, you know, they compensate for that. I think Denver is ultimately going to need to really consider their roster construction this offseason, whether it's they get bounced in the first round or somehow win this game seven and, and ask like, all right, are we going, if we're going forward and our three best pieces are right. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic. Like it, it's just, it's just a, a more successful at this. Yeah point in time, time yeah. of the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know what totally. I mean? Like all those Denver guys, they have great writers too. They're all going to be like, can this team ever defend well enough to get out of the first round? Or, you know, let's say they do win game seven. Can this team ever defend well enough to actually be a contender? So I think sometimes that's the thing. And again, we harp on it, whether I'm writing about it, or you're talking about it. Like we're just so the Wolves defense sucks. It sucks. It sucks. And it does suck. But I just think it's 
You gotta sometimes. It has sucked. Fan, I think that's yeah. the point. To I think that's the point that that's the ground that I will firmly stand yeah, on. It has sucked. Is it has sucked. We don't know to what degree it will continue to suck. Yeah, I think and that's I, ultimately. And not to make like excuses for DeAndre Russell, but I mean, like I said, at his age, you do also wonder too. Like, I'm I'm totally with you on the optimism of like. It's why are we – how do we even know what his defensive ceiling is? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, he clearly didn't have to play a lick of defense in those two years in L.A. because that was a dumpster fire. Yep. In Brooklyn, that's probably the best sample size you had of, like, what could he do. But he was a 21-year-old kid. And then Golden State last year, I mean, he was just playing with, for better or worse, you know, G-leaguers when everyone got down with an injury. So we don't know what he could – like, he could have that Damian Lillard leap in yep. terms of defense. And I don't mean, like – even above average, but if he could just defend on an average guard level, it would be such a huge thing. I think it would really open some people's eyes to what this team could look like. Totally. And, th- and then that's, and that's the goal. Damian Lillard is become, has not become a good defender. He's become a non-liability. Right. And those, you don't hunt him out every play. Yes. And, and that, you know, that's the goal of progression for, for D'Angelo Russell, like Lillard's at a higher level, but I don't think it should be viewed as an impossibility that he could pursue competence right. defensively, be below average right. rather than wor- you know, worse right. in the league. And he just seems to be stamped with that. But I think a huge part of it, whether we're talking about Denver, we're talking about Portland, all that is I, I think that the context of the players around <laughs> around your best players, particularly if they're not strong defenders, like Cat and Dilo haven't been to this part of time, or Denver if it's Jokic and Murray, like when Denver was really working, they, they did feel effectively insulated by, you know, Paul Millsap when he was a little bit younger. That seemed to make a huge difference for them there. You know, Jeremy Grant, uh, Gary Harris when, when he was healthy, a Torrey Craig. Like, you do kind of – the Wolves need to nail those sort of pieces in, in this progression here if, if we're talking about on-court fit defensively and making that work. And I, I, I think that's – that's a huge thing when we're analyzing the defensive scheme is we need to know what that looks like with the second big being an effective accomplice to cat defensively. And Robert Covington is a very good defensive player. He's not very good in that role. Right. And what, what that role is the, the backline, you know, the backline defender, it's, it's what Giannis won the defensive player of the year on this year, right? Like think about a, a bucks possession, right? You got Eric Bledsoe out, Guarding the best player. You got Brooke Lopez back at the rim. And then you have Giannis on the back line there to you know, cock up every hole yep. that is yep. supposed to come up. Now, the Wolves aren't going to get that, of course. But what Sam brought up in the article is Zach Collins mm-hmm. in Portland, a guy like that who can you know, play in that space on the back line to weak side defend the rim and, and to be an effective accomplice to Carl Anthony Towns, wherever the center is. And... That I think is something maybe I don't give I don't think I've given enough like focus or thought into because I think it's kind of a hard thing to define where we really need to I think I watch a lot of the NBA, but that that piece is like the specific fit. A year ago if we're having this conversation, I would be like, Well, Kyle, we got that. Robert Covington, man. He's 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 mobile, he can be this big who who insulates cat, and then he just wasn't. And and it's, it's something that's a little different than Robert Covington. I think we learned that this year. And, and what that is is just a really – nailing that Zach Collins, I think, is a, is a – or maybe 
hopefully even a little bit better. Than that. Hopefully a little bit better. Yeah, you but, know what I mean? but like at a baseline. Yeah. To to start it, I think I think that's really important. I really I really like that um, that Sam highlighted that in the article and and that it it it's part of putting this together. Like there are these different pieces of the puzzle, and and I think we sometimes think about that four too much as somebody who can stretch the floor and play fast. Why can't that guy be someone? Why why isn't the focus that that player is someone? That helps Carmel Anthony Towns. How much? How much does the four next to? If if that's the lens we're looking at everything through, how much do you help Carmel Anthony Towns? Why is it more important to be fast and shoot threes than it is to help him defensively? Well, I guess this pod's gonna go for four hours because that's <laughs> the question we're gonna pivot off of our outline. But um, I think it's important, and I think you've tried to now kind of change the narrative a little bit. But I mean, again, just credit to where credits due. Um, a lot of people kind of follow what you say or you you know what we've reported on. Like when you listen to Rosas talk, um. I think right now, today, on August 31st, we need to bury this idea that the Wolves would never play like a defensive-minded big next to Carl. Yeah. And whether – I mean, you can say big however you want. You can be 6'9", you can be 7 foot, but like I don't think they're naive enough. And you've heard Gerst kind of mm-hmm. you know, tra- pivot a little bit now that they're just going to constantly throw four shooters out there and make Carl Anthony Towns try to be this Giannis-Brooke Lopez combo. Like I think – and as you get into the draft stuff and you look at some of these guys, like the kid from USC that maybe isn't the most offensively gifted but can defend like a madman, um, I don't think we should be closing our minds off when we're looking at drafts, when we're looking at free agency, when we're doing our own you know, fake trades, that they're only going to have four shooters at all times around Carl. That's how it's going to be. And mm-hmm. I think you're finally trying to get that message out there. It's like, listen, I think they know better than anyone that Carl needs help and he needs someone to defend with him because you can't ask your – you, you can't ask your star player to like be this offensively gifted guy and just be the best defensive player because there's only like one or two of those. It's Giannis. Right. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. Carl's not Giannis, but Carl's so good at what he does. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think he's going to be able to be elite on both sides. But if you have a guy next to him, and I, not Draymond Green, obviously, but like a guy like that that just does all the shitty stuff that you don't want to do, mm-hmm. it could just free up Carl's mind to be more tunnel vision on, you know, protect the rim. Just yeah. protect the rim. That's all I got to do. Just hands up. One, I got to give me one job. Or yeah, like one, one job, job and I'm going to be good at it. Because I think for Carl, and you, you, we know this, but like Carl's such a good guy. I think he wants to do 40 jobs. Yeah. And he gets in his own head, and that's why he fouls, and that's why he reaches sometimes. And it's just like if they could get a guy that does all these other job you know, tasks on the, on the job description and just say, Carl, you got two jobs on defense. Mm-hmm. It's hands up, and it's, you know, yeah. occasionally switch a pick. Right. Um, I think you'll see him just really take off. I, I really agree with that. And and I think it you know, it, it, it teases it up that, that whole those questions that you or I don't have the answers to are the ones that, that Gerson and company in the front office need to you know, need to answer this summer. And and that starts with this draft pick of what like what are you going to do with it? If I mean, I think I'm somebody who kind of actually comparatively skews higher on this class of obviously not thinking it's it's great but but being a, a pretty big fan relatively speaking of ball edwards and wiseman yet still kind of acknowledging the fact that man how does how do any of the three of those fit fit into what we were just what we just talked about the, what sam just highlighted in his article how does that fit into plugging the holes that we know are issues on this team and I can tell you that I, I like Lamel Ball. He's my favorite prospect, whatever in this. But but you could come right back at me of like, wait, 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 Dane. You just listed like six bullet points. Lamelo fits none of them. Yeah. 
and that's fair, you know. So, so what, what Sam, Sam he, did, he lists out the six things, and he, which is the, the place where I'm at too, where the trade. It has to be, I'm not saying you have to trade it, but that needs to be given some real consideration, and you maybe need to not be thinking you're going to get like some sort of Jason Tatum swap back in that, but you're going to get something and, and be comfortable with taking that value you get, that value they just won right. via the lottery, and turning it into something down the road in a sequence of further moves. I was glad to see Sam say that too, because that's where I'm at in my head right now, where that really, that really makes sense to me because LaMelo Delo, there's overlap there. Like Edwards is a, is a center. I mean, I don't think that that, I think that's too far on the spectrum of playing him with cat. And then Edwards too. That's a, that's a big risk defensively when we already are acknowledging the D'Lo and cat issues. So, so I'm really pretty firmly in that. Which, and which brings me back to kind of how we started this whole pod, though, about how I guess the best analogy I can, if you take nothing else away from this, is that like, like the, when, when you win the lottery last year and you know it's going to be Zion, it's like winning the Powerball when the Powerball hasn't been won for four you know, weeks and it's $250 million. Um, But like, so this one, there's, there's no Powerball in this one, but it's a lottery. So like for all you, all my degenerates that still play the Minnesota lottery, like when you do a scratch off, you're still trying to win the top prize. You know what I mean? So like right. even if it's $10,000... If you're the guy that wins that ten thousand dollars, like everyone else below you won less, so, like it's still a prize. <laughs> so the fact is, Tom or as uh, Sam lies, lays out, I think that's why I just wanted to hammer it home. Like winning the lottery was such a big deal because this article from Sam was going to be well written no matter what, but it would have sucked if it was <laughs> when on day seven he's like, so now the seventh team in the lottery, the Timberwolves. Here are their options. They could maybe trade it for a, you know, like. A bu- like the 12th man from the Bucks, And it's like, so that sucks. So yes, yeah, this is yeah. a burden and none of the guys at the top really fit. Um, and I think the biggest thing that Sam talked about in this was that winning the lottery and just in general, and he talks about t- or Carl's like contracts and stuff, but he does kind of talk about that, like the, the clock is ticking or the pressure's on, but I don't know. Like that's also, is that bad? Like, I think sometimes we're just so used to everything sucking for the wolves. We're like, well, we got to start to figure this out. And it's like, yeah, but do you want to be the Hornets? Because, yeah. like, they don't have a clock. They're just going to be bad forever. So, yeah, they have to They're going to be bad until they get their towns. And then, and then four then years, their then clock the clock starts. Yeah, it's so like yeah. they don't even have a clock. They have no power in their building. Mm-hmm. Like, at least the <laughs> Wolves have something to focus on. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think, again, you got to read the Sam Fasini piece. And he outlines the best options. And he talks about kind of the six guys that would be the most – popular on any i think big board um although my guy killian hayes isn't up there but we won't fight about that (laughs) um but again i just think i'm with you trading the pick is probably the best option i think you've heard gers talk about that he did a pod with havistro and some media availability um and the reason i am so confident and again call me kool-aid call me optimistic do you in your time covering this team being a fan of the team has there ever been anyone you trust more than him to at least do it yeah you no, know what I, I mean? Like, if this is Tibbs, man, it's probably just Anthony Edwards, and he's just going to make him just, you know, do defensive shell drill his whole time. You don't ever get to shoot. You know what I mean? Or he's going to draft Wiseman. And that's Chris like, Dunn. Yeah, Chris, you know what I mean? Like, he's just – at least there's going to be – when those two trades happened with Wiggins and with Covington, I mean, we had mocked everything at the trade deadline, and they still were above and beyond our deepest imagine. You know what I mean? Just like right. they really – 
steroided out the trade machine and said, let's get four teams in here. Let's get 40 players. And anyone who was in the Bahamas, you're out of here. And like, <laughs> that's how the Wolves are going to be able to do this. They're going to, sure, for all the trade offers you see on Twitter, they have ones that are so stupidly deep. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's what I, I think. And he, and again, Vecini says it best option. You got to trade it. Yeah. And it just says Rosa's process will be gather what each player in the draft is worth. Then it'll value the number one overall pick versus every other subsequent drafts, draft slot. And then from there, see what offers come in. And if the, the offers of exceed the value of what he assesses the number one overall pick to be, even if it's $1 and two cents versus $1, like he's going to take it. And, and that to your point with the trade deadline or the moves that we have seen made, they haven't all, I don't think every move has brought back two pennies, but I think they've all had the, like in theory, right? They, they've had they they pursued that, right? Where they just go, man, we're we're poor right now. Like we need to have a a, a glut, right, of moves like that, where we are getting we are winning that each trade by two percent. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be like micro transactions. I mean, that's just they're exactly. always gonna be doing these little incremental things, and they've been doing that since they got here. You know what I mean? Just like even like the Nas Reed thing, like just these little things that are not sexy or and, and not dude, and, and things that haven't worked either. Like they went and got Jordan bell because, because they thought was, he was the, and yeah. he was, and he was going to be a restricted free agent. Like that one farted out. Nothing happened there, but like it was, it was, it wasn't just like a guy signed at the minimum. It was okay. And if Jordan bell proves that he can fit in our rotation next to Carl Anthony towns, now we have his restricted rights. It's a little, it's, it's little something like that. If you look at every single, like, Dig into the books. Every one of the signings. Jalen Noel, I would say that didn't work out that well. But you know what? They signed him to a four-year deal with three years non-guaranteed going from there. Nas Reed is that too. So they're, they're all these moves that I think have a chance at turning in value that they, him, and Gupta and company have manipulated in a way to potentially benefit them. And you know, it's funny you bring that up because I think sometimes people just think, I mean, I do, I'm so not, or I'm so guilty of this, but like, it's not a connect the dots. Like it's not, you know, it's not like point A and now point B to point C. But I remember there was like some, some people have questioned what Gersas was doing or what Gersas was doing last year in the draft. Kind of like, like Gersas. Yeah, Gersas would be, that's a good shirt. Uh, <laughs> but like when they tried, when they tried to, they tried to trade up. They probably wanted Darius Garland. I mean, that's kind of yeah, the thing. Yeah, you know, that'd be another like, example of not working. You know what I mean? But it's like, yeah. they, they tried it. It didn't work. And then everyone's like, well, why would you go up for Garland who is, doesn't fit the timeline and, but then you want to rustle. And I think it's because they're not, they don't have this step-by-step plan. I think totally. that's how really shitty franchises in all sports are run it's just like we have to do this and then we have to get this and we have to draft for you know need and stuff that's not how they're doing it like they're constantly pivoting so do i think that jordan bell was signed at the time as like a a long-term kind of piece you know like not a long-term guy but like an asset that like we can flip we can do something with i do and then they're just like oh like we can actually just get rid of him and we can get like a pick and beasley and like yeah so it's just like you said those microtransactions of just constantly not losing a trade, and even if you're getting two cents back on your dollar and two cents, um, that stuff adds up because, and you don't want to hammer home the comparisons to Houston, but that's how they did the Harden. That's how they got Harden was just totally. microtransactions of this second round pick, that second round pick, Kevin Martin's salary, all this or, stuff. Or I mean, the sick. I mean, Gupta was was Sam Hinkie's right hand yeah. man in Philly, yeah. like, and I'm sure everyone who's listening to this podcast right now has read some, you know, referendum on the process now that it's 
kind of over <laughs> or Elton Brand killed it, <laughs> you know, but you, when you really do go through that stuff, you're like, man, the Sixers have effed up the past like couple of years, right? Yet they're still due to the assets they accumulated through their many microtransactions in that way. They're still in this place where through a bunch of errors, they still have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Which is why you can't shit on the Jarrett Culver thing. Because even though Jarrett Culver is horrendous to watch shoot a basketball, there's probably still asset there and a, a player there. But I think sometimes like, well, can we trust, can we trust this new organization or this new front office with the draft? It's like, why? Because they might've missed on a guy that when you go back and look at those, like who else after the top couple of guys have been really game changers? Like, yeah, Tyler Hero, yeah, PJ Washington. But like, you can't focus on that one thing because this front office is going to swing and miss. Mm -hmm. That is a fact, but they're not going to strike out. They're just going to continuously like, okay, we missed on that. Maybe we shouldn't have traded up. Maybe we should have drafted a different guy. But then we got Jalen Noel and he's, we kind of own his rights for the next four years on these totally. awesome deal. We got Nas Reed for nothing Same thing, yeah. and we can turn him into like, he might be an interesting piece for a team that wants a cheap backup center. So I just, they're going to miss, they're going to miss. You got to realize that they might miss exactly how they trade this first pick, but they're going to just continuously be so active. That doesn't matter. It's just going to, that it in theory mitigates yes. that risk. Yes. And, and you know what? They've got some stuff to prove too. Like absolutely. absolutely. Just because your process is great, you need to be you need to be good. You need to make good decisions. We don't really know that. Which is which is the counter to the whole Jared Culver thing is like <laughs> it probably wasn't the best decision right. in hindsight, but but, but I it, mean or, or anything. I mean, you know, just time time will tell. Like right. how bad the Culver misstep was. Or if I think I've been as hard on Culver as anyone, if if it's a year from now and Culver takes that big step, like you know, you were stupid for ripping on that after one year. Like, I don't know. There's all, there's going to be just all of these things where it's fair for us to point out the places that they've missed and they've missed already. Yep. But I don't think we can have that conversation out of one side of the mouth without acknowledging out of the other side of the mouth that this is all part of a, a bigger process that should in fact be successful. So that gets me to if so Dane and I have known each other for a while. And when I got to know Dane right in the back in our original Canis Hoopus days, I referred to Dane as millennial Larry Kuhn for all of his CBA knowledge. Um, so you so I've been waiting, so you came out to Portland. This is why I'm here. This is the question. The Wolves have the first overall pick. No one loves it. Everyone's just like, oh, this draft sucks, blah, blah, blah. But what I'd really like to talk to you about is Golden State has the number two pick. And it's blown me away at how the Wolves first pick. It's kind of shitty, not really worth a lot in trades, but Golden State has this second overall pick and they have the salary to go star hunting. Did you hear about Andrew Wiggins? And it's blown <laughs> me away. Like I don't have a drinking problem, but I've drank a lot reading those articles because I don't get it. I don't understand why when the Wolves had Wiggins, it was this detriment that they had to attach target center to to get rid of him. But now that the Warriors have him, he's this sexy asset in this contract. So I wanted to ask you, do you think, as we just talked about the, the Russell limitations and some of the questions on defense, knowing what we know now on August 31st, having the first overall pick, do you think the Wolves would have been better off still having Wiggins on the team and that 2021 pick? I don't think so. And, and my reason for that would be is I do see a pretty big difference in, in D'Angelo Russell and Andrew Wiggins. I, I, I do think the reality of the situation with Andrew Wiggins, whatever they puff piece it, you know, puff piece him to death, but that 
that contract remains egregious. Like, yeah, I mean, or or just something that is like there is an anvil, you know, connected to that. And and that's not to say there isn't some. I think if you you pulled a lot of people, a lot of smart people would say that DeAndre Russell's contract is tough too. But but for me, the the value that this opens up a different door is is huge. And that isn't that isn't assets, that isn't anything like that. This is a different path than the town's Wiggins path that they were on. And that in and of itself to me, again, this kind of goes back to my whole drop scheme thing. It's like, well, we know d- definition of an insanity, right? Like do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And that's my argument for maybe why switching up the defensive scheme. And, and also is my argument for why I didn't really rip on the pretty he- hefty asset they attached to Wiggins to get off of him to, to Golden State. Now, I think what's kind of come to light as we sit here on August 31st with the number one overall pick, would it be interesting to have to have the number one overall pick and their 2021 pick to be yes. able to move? Yes. That's the argument, right? Yep. That's the argument against it because, because then if there is a sliver of truth to those Andrew Wiggins Bleacher Report articles that come up from Joe Schmo, like – that's some pretty serious draft capital you've now put behind a bad contract. And I do think the Warriors are in a spot to be able to be, be pretty aggressive here and, and go get something. I mean, literally, we have like a we have basically the the story untold yeah, yeah, in Golden yeah. State. It's, yep. it's the exact right. it's the exact same thing. They have the number number two pick versus the number one pick. So we'll we'll see. Right. Like we'll see if they're able to if they're able, able to finagle that and trade the Wolves pick with Wiggins and number two this year and really like get that guy next to, you know, Clay and Steph and Draymond there, like, you know, that, then maybe, then maybe I'm wrong, but I just, for the wolf, I do think it's I'm so with you. I just had to ask because I just think it's been so interesting now that, that, that like, they're just talking about how golden state's shopping their pick and maybe the wolves 2021 pick and Wiggins. And it's just like, well, when we had that stuff, it was all talked about as being really shitty. So it's like now that you have it and yeah. it's in warmer climate down in California, like why is it so appealing? So, and again, too, if they had it, I, I just, if they had it, it would just be this giant bag that you're just dragging along. You know I mean? You would have had to attach one of these picks just to get off them like you did mm-hmm. anyway. So I knew the answer to that. I just had to throw it by <laughs> you because you were my guy there. So no, no, I, I think, I think it's an interesting question. It's, it's a story not told yet. And you know, to be determined, but we also got to remember there is there's differences between players going to Golden State right. versus going to Minnesota, and that that does make it a little apples to oranges. Um, I think Golden State uh, is is in a really interesting place too, where they have that big trade exception. Remember, I was talking oh, about yeah, that yeah. earlier. They got some interesting like yeah, like they the, dark web like things like assets that you don't really know about. It's very bizarre because that's where they got off of Iguodala last year, yep. and just dumped him to Memphis, and they picked up the seventeen million dollar trade exception. That was that was kind of my theory of what was going to end up happening, you know, with the wolves with to be able the, to work that. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, the warriors in general, the, there's a million different sort of ways that they can go, but they do have a different infrastructure of assets of contracts yep. of players to be moved than the wolves have. But the, the, the Wiggins, you know, the, the Wiggins element is there. So maybe that'll end up looking dumb, but, but I think there's just an element of fresh start here. I, just like the, men, the mental health yeah. of it just is they have their two guys. Um, you've seen the important, I mean, you've seen what Carl can do just by himself. 
not so much in the playoffs, but by himself. And then you've seen the importance of just volume scoring guards. I mean, you know what I mean? Like this whole, in this whole playoffs, just like lead guard, like a point guard. Yeah. Like yeah. a lead guard. Yeah. Like it's still a lead guard lead. You know what I mean? Like you might have the Giannis, you might have the LeBron, but it's like all these other series, man, it's Dame, it's Donovan Mitchell, it's Jamal Murray. It's like, they, you got to have guys that can score and initiate offense and push tempo. And I just, I think Russell might not be the best one at it, but I just think he's such an upgrade over where they are. And again, you don't, and, and, you, and what it like Wiggins, I mean, you think about Wiggins now too, who, you know, to his credit, looked a lot better in Minnesota this year and did take that lead guard role on where he was kind of like Point Wiggins, right? And and it was a lot better than Wiggins the year, you know, the year before. Obviously, some shot selection adjustments there. But I've, but I've thought about that through, through the lens of like, okay, we know that that's the best Andrew Wiggins. Like, that's the best way to use him. But are you going to the play? Like, what team's going into the playoffs with Andrew Wiggins as their lead guard? And like making something happen, I just don't know how that works. Right. And 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 it's why I kind of push back on this whole idea of like, oh well, you can just kind of put Wiggins in the Harrison Barnes role, and you know, kind of hide him as the fourth, fifth guy out there in the starting lineup. And yeah, he would be a talented fourth or fifth player. But the way Andrew Wiggins plays, that he's shown to effectively play, the times he has is, is not he, in. Yeah. yeah, he plays like, like, <laughs> I don't. I'll make this clear. Not like Luka Doncic, but it's kind of like Luka Doncic. It's like a big 6'8 yeah. bodyguard who is looking to attack, yeah. like get downhill, going towards the rim, and pass off of that or step back into threes. I think that's what Andrew Wiggins is best used at now. The thing is, is he's just talent-wise, mentality-wise, all those sort of things. It's just such a fraction. Yeah. Uh, of what those guys are. So the aggr- that's an aside. Wiggins, Wiggins the is aggr- like a- the aggregators on Dane Moore NBA podcast. Dane says Andrew Wiggins is Luka Doncic is going to be great. But I'm with you though. Like you just don't see a guy like Wiggins like in the playoffs. Like there's not that guy. And if there is even something comparable, you just throw your guy. Your I mean, you're essentially your best friend. You just do Lou Lou Dort on him and he just locks him down. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you you've seen the need for a lead ball handler to score. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just most of these good teams have it. And the wolves Who doesn't. Have, yeah, right. I you know what I'm saying. Like the wolves need it to be competitive. So mm-hmm. again, it's not it's not ideal, and this kind of goes into a whole nother wave of things with just kind of nitpicking playoff teams. But like the wolves clearly, I mean, if the wolves had their choice and they were playing Madden by themselves, yeah, dude, they would have Towns and Giannis. That would be their core too. You know what I mean? Like you don't get that, but you know, you look around the league too, and like we said earlier, with like Jokic and Murray and like uh, Michael Porter Jr. Like. That's not an ideal trio. Right. You know what I mean? Or like talented. Talented, yeah. But you look mm-hmm. around the league, like, I don't know if we'll get into this, but like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, like, when you finally tune the microscope, the, the NBA playoffs put the microscope on each team, just like you and I put the microscope on our team. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, no, that's a good point. Really so, we, in March or whatever, when this whole thing shut down or over the summer and we were just pimping out the Sixers, like, they're going to be frisky. They're going to be good. And of course, I know Ben Simmons was hurt. But I'm just saying, like, they're, they're, they're frisky. They might make the finals. And then Ben Simmons gets hurt. But it's like, then you watch Embiid play four or five games, and it's like, man, he he's not, like, he just doesn't get it. Like, he still is not in good shape. He still can't really defend. Like, he's still, all this all this shit you talk about, Carl Anthony Towns, because we micromanage him, is now when you see these other guys, like a Porzingis can't stay healthy. Embiid, never in good shape. Jokic can't defend. Um, it's just really interesting to see that, that, 
emphasis Dude. now on these teams. Dude, even the Bucks right now. I mean, we're recording this Bucks game is just about to start. Game one of the, the Heat series, and, and people are all like are concerned about the Bucks defense. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. concerned about the Bucks defense. And that there's some some scheme things to that, but it's like, yeah, that's what really high level basketball does, is it does put the microscope on you. And every team, every team, all 30 of them, now that the Warriors are not like supernovas, this is normal. That's what it is. Is teams have holes. And and the I mean the Wolves have more, but but we we do get locked into this the wolves have holes and thus will leak forever. And that's and the reason I wanted to bring it up is just because I think as we talked about are they a bottom 5 team or whatever like and again you can just say that I'm being too optimistic but I I do wonder how far the wolves are. They need they need to just have a pimped out off season and they need to do a lot of things right but I do wonder how how really far are they away from that next tier of teams. Of course they're not contenders but again it goes back to like they're so far away, quotes from the Bucks and the Clippers. But now people think the Bucks aren't going to beat the Heat in the second <laughs> round. The Clippers have their two best players signed for one more year, and then they don't have a pick until I'm like 70. So it's like, I, I, I do sometimes wonder why we always just put the Wolves that they're like 10 years away from being a contender, when it's like, when all these teams start to get eliminated from the bubble, their offseason write-ups are going to be, well, they have this issue and this issue. And like Denver, their three best players can't defend a lick and Jeremy Grant's gone and Gary Harris sucks and Will mm -hmm. Barton's out. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. I think we do them a disservice by micromanaging our team, but you realize that all these teams have so many issues and even the ones that you're like the gold standard, it's like the bucks, like they can't defend. What do you mean? They can't defend the heat. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're still going to micromanage the wolves here. And <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Yeah. Just, a, I had to get my rant in. So. No, no, I, it, I, I actually think you're right. And we were, it's it is good perspective and it's it is unfair because that's how I do think about all these playoff teams. I think about I think about the the flaws that they you know that they do have and and it just it does apply some context to when we are talk, we're talking about Jared Culver and Josh Kogi right now and you know acknowledge that there's issues there and also that there is a way in which even if those issues persist with Josh yep. never as a shooter like there is a way that that still fits into a, a good starting five with the Wolves yeah, on this team with D'Angelo Russell and Carl and Anthony Towns. And like, we don't need to blow up a Kogi for that. We don't need to blow up Culver for that completely because they just need to fit in to the right spot in the pecking order on this team. The issue I think we, we've had is, I mean, what was Jared Culver on the pecking order last year? Like, four right right and that was an issue as a rookie he was very clearly dealing with some confidence issues that you know spread out to his game and it was was a, was a massive you know was, was a massive issue there but but what if you have him like what if he what if his rookie year was you know i mean just think about how much more bandwidth Jarek culver got this year than michael porter jr did right you know right I mean? right like, i know what you mean and that, that allowed us to really highlight, again, me, um, Jarrett Culver's issues. Those, those issues exist, and they do need to be – I don't know. I, and this, I want to bounce this off you. Like, there's something about Jarrett Culver versus Josh Okogie where I think Culver almost more needs to work out his shot than Okogie does, where, at, where like, with Josh – 
will it suck if he's a 28% three-point shooter for his whole career? Yes. Have you seen those videos of him shooting though this week? <laughs> it looks like he's totally fixed his jumper. Like 35% is okay, so some people baseline. Sent, <laughs> some people sent me that. And the issue with Josh, in my opinion, the issue with Josh Kogi's jump shot is not in his upper body form. It's his feet. Yep. Watch his feet yep. when he shoots. Like You texted me that. And I was like, oh. Because I, I mean, I'm just watching Josh's hands. And it the ball's going in. I was like, wow. Oh, it was wow, clear. Like, it was clear. Three, if, if we have an all-star game in 2021, God forbid, like Josh is going to make the three-point shooting contest. And you're like, dude, watch his feet. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is this. – okay, I'm just going to go back to watching his upper body. But, I mean, and I think like – so Dort, right? Dort's getting all this, this shine and this. And then, and then also like simultaneously in game, game five, right, where it was terrible and they just made him shoot all the time. Like Josh is – and Jarrett – can do more than Lou Dort can. Right. Right. They they are like they are better shooters than Lou Dort is and I think a huge step we saw in Josh was his ability to to catch and immediately attack this year. And and even in that he he was able to like kind of slow himself down enough to for like a little drop off to catch on this is this is going like way back, but I remember that Charlotte, that Charlotte game early, early in the season. And they were kind of like sagging off him in the corner and he would just, he would just attack the rim and drop it off the cat. And I think cat had like 25 points yep. in, in the first half. And like a Kogi can do some of those things. Culver, Culver can do some of these, those things. It's just to me, I think, and going back, looking at Culver at Texas tech, having a jump shot, a semblance of a jump shot is a more and more critical part to the basketball player. He is. Yep. Than, than Josh no, I totally, I totally agree. And it, but it also kind of makes me think too when you because I know you wanted to bring in the Thunder. That's your team. Um, I'm, I'm getting close to selling my stock on that. But, but you know, so that 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 Thunder Rocket series is like the epitome of everything I've just ranted on. Is that when those teams play competitive games? I think there was a blowout mixed in there. But like they're only pl- like we always think about the Wolves, where they have Carl and they have D'Angelo, and then they have what do they have? Dude, a lot of these teams play seven deep in the playoffs. You right. know what I mean? Like the Thunder played healthy minutes to like. Dort and Gallinari who has his ups and downs and then like Basley it's like yep. so I mean the Wolves like you said for the Josh Akogi thing like why can't he just be a starting guy on a playoff team like you said he does some things so much better than your Lou Dorts who are like essentially the defensive player of the year in the bubble <laughs> um but but I, to go back to your original question I think you're right I think with the Culver thing I think for all of his other skills to kind of shine or come out he has to have and for him, again, this is a whole other tangent, but like he has to have the conf- he has to have the mechanics to shoot, but then it, that will give him the confidence. You know what I mean? I think when he has that confidence, that's when he dunks on dudes. That's when he takes guys off mm-hmm. the dribble. But if he knows that everyone's give- forcing me to shoot, um, for him, I think it's more mental. But you're right. He's got to be able to shoot more. Otherwise, he's more of a liability. It, 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 for me, it, as someone who's hard on Culver, it is more the mental element than it is being able to find a structure of a jump shot. And I'm not, I'm not saying I live in that locker room or know all the, the conversations and stuff like that. But I do know, I do know that Jarrett struggled mentally, which is, which is why I still say, I don't know if he's a long-term fixture for this team, but if you're just selling Jarrett Culver stock in general, I just like DM me. Cause I'm still that guy. Because when you look at the facts, Yes, his jumper sucks, but as you were on early, because you know you go to the games, they didn't, they weren't waiting until this summer to rework his jump shot. Mm-hmm. They started reworking his jump shot 
like game two. You know what I mean? Like it was a continu- the stupid thing they did there is Ryan said multiple times that reworking a player's jump shot is not something we we do until until the off season, which he shouldn't have said that because. <laughs> Because they did rework his jump shot. Well, I got to. I was at a game it's with just, you and against the Thunder, I think, and uh, I think it was the Lou Dort coming out special. But um, yeah, like you could tell, like they were like stopping his like just you know natural players one before a game. They were like work, tweaking his jump shot. So hundred percent. But, 100%. but that, my, my, that, my, that's not. I, I think that was a situation of like Ryan wanting to say the right thing, and it. At, it. <laughs> I mean, if you're there at practices, you're there at the pregame stuff. You, I mean, he's working with Pablo, like. Things changed, right? Intentionally, and, and, and on the confidence level, though, again, I there's so many times I do love to rip you, but this one I got to give you points. Like, you were on it early about I think you wrote about this last year, but like that that switch from like Lubbock, Texas, to like a big city like Minnesota. You know what I mean? Like for a young kid, and then no summer league because the NBA rules don't let you that whole mess too. And then it was a mess with the beginning of the season, and like. Just to think of, if nothing else, I always try to compare this stuff to like myself. Like if you and I were new employees and like yeah. you got a new job in March 1st of 2020, but then you didn't get to have orientation and then a pandemic happens and then you got to work from home and you don't know your, you know, you don't know your coworkers and stuff. And then they ask you like, I know we hired you Dane to do this, but we actually need you to code. And you're like, well, shit, I don't know how to code. But like, <laughs> so I just think with him, like you've been on it since day one that I think a lot of it's just mental. Like, I don't think Jared Culver's a 50% free throw shooter, but I think he gets to the free throw line and he's like, shit, I'm a 50% free throw shooter. (laughs) And it's just, that's what it is. I don't know. And there's, there's numbers to back that up too, of like decreases and his getting to the free throw line and all all sorts of things. I mean, it, it, it screams that and it screams a loss of confidence and, and to me, that is, that is concerning. I think you're a little bit more optimistic that it is going to be something he irons out. But he, he's a really interesting kid, like just culturally and in, in the, in the world, you know, the world he grew up in. And he's, I think, probably you and I or like a, a lot of people have, have our friends who are like deeply religious and kind of yeah, move yeah, to their own yeah, beat. Yeah. And Jared's that way and like more power to him for that. Like I support that. But there, there's this element of him that is – somewhat like countercultural, mm-hmm. and and i think that stuff matters i yeah. think that stuff matters like in a locker room um i think or maybe it's on the leaders to maybe maybe you need to put Jarrett like under your wing a little bit more because mm-hmm. he's a little quiet it, it was just very it was very illuminating to me remembering the way carl anthony towns talked about josh Kogi when josh Kogi was a rookie and josh is this exuberant like you know <laughs> Enigmatic. He's his, his personality, and and Cat was just kind of like, there's just this sort of glowing element to it where where Jarrett is very quiet. Um, fans didn't didn't really get to see any of uh, like an extroverted type of personality at all, and 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 I don't know. I mean, that's certainly something w- with age that you you can develop and stuff like that. But I think it's a really important part of of basketball is the meshing of personalities. Absolutely, and. I think that's partially on Jarrett to allow himself to mesh with others. And then, you know, honestly, Kat and D'Lo, like Kat and D'Lo, like Josh and, and some of the other guys to be able to, to be like, you can be, you know, you could be yourself and, and, and you can be normal. Which just goes back to, I think we've talked about Jarrett Culver, what it seems like for seven years, but he's only been here for totally. 14 months or whatever, you know? So 
So yeah, I think I just think that's the hurdle to overcome. I, I, I do. More so they than need this. to they need to form like a Chicago Bulls player committee thing and just make him the president of it <laughs> and just like really empower him. But I think like you said too, I think Josh just has for better or worse, like he just kind of has that dog mentality, and that's how you become a really good defender. Is you kind of have that dog mentality. But um, but with Jared, like I said, I, again, I'm not just here to make excuses. I'm sure that's what it sounds like. But I just think there were so many. If you're already wired a little differently, and you might need some kid gloves early on. And then to have all the weird stuff that happened and he had to kind of hide from the media last summer. Um, I just, I I think that it's such a random thing, but that one dunk over, you know, over Robin Lopez, I think you saw like the confidence him, him be like built up like this, you know, he was saying like, this is who I am. Like they need to find more of that. But again, as you said, it's on the players. You know what I mean, too? Like, it's on his yeah. teammates. It's also on the, I'm sure the coach. Well, you know what happened? Was, you know what happened? After the, the, the biggest thing that sticks out to me from that dunk is, is Jarrett Culver gets up, dunks on Robin Lopez, and he says, I'm like that. And Robin Lopez starts coming at him, right? And, and it's like a, a timeout. The whistle's blown, and Culver's going back towards his bench. And big-ass Robin Lopez comes at him, trying to, you know, trying to fight him. And you know who he went by? He went by four Wolves teammates. Nobody got in the way there and defended their guy. Until, until Nas Reed like shout out kinda, Nas Reed kind of came in to defend his guy, but like I don't know, we've seen, I feel like we see a fight every single night in the playoffs, right? Something's going on. Some Marcus Morris is trying to kill Lucas some sort of way or another, and somebody comes in and has the guy's fucking back, and and I don't know. I mean, I just think if that happens, and oh, I I just could go on a limb here. I think I have the timeline right, but if that happens, that same play and James Johnson is on the team at that point because I don't think he was at the time. Yeah. Um. He, yeah, he, is, he is grabbing – he is either out on the court getting suspended. Sure. Punching Robin Lopez sure. or he is grabbing Jarrett during the timeout and being like, "That yes, this this is what you need to do. Like you are and there good was just at basketball. Nothing. And that was just There was nothing. There was it nothing. It was just – it was very much yep. kind of on his own. Um, and again too. But isn't – don't you – to me that is – that captures it. That, yes, that, to me that captures it. There's something there. It needs support. Yes. From the other people yeah. there. And I don't know, maybe we're getting like way too like deep into like a psychological assessments of everyone on the roster. But I, I believe in that stuff. I believe yeah. that matters in basketball in a game you play with five people is to like <laughs> be playing if, with four other guys. If, if, if you watch that Jamal Murray interview last night, it's there's so much more to these dudes than just yeah. scoring. They're, I mean, they're the mental makeup. Confidence is a thing. You know what I mean? Like yep. Deion Waiters is like the 190 best player <laughs> On the Lakers, and like he's still so confident that that's what Jarrett needs. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, let's move on to get back to Sam's thing a little bit. Move on to he talked about he went through some of the other pieces on the roster, the Nas, the Laymans, and kind of get you know gave credit to the idea that a lot that those guys might be able to be something. He said that Layman is a guy who could be a ninth man. Not great praise, but yeah, I mean that's I think that's kind of what you have there. And Vanderbilt, he's like, man, if Vanderbilt worked, he'd fit really well in this defensive scheme. I think that you no, know that's true. We don't but, have enough time for that. Yeah. I love him, but yeah, I know that was a good point by him. Right. Um, but yeah, focused focused on Beasley and Wancho, and what what I thought was interesting was his general opinion, which is different than I think the narrative coming from a lot of Timberwolves voices. Um, or, or the, the Timberwolves front office is the idea that it might just it might just be more valuable to have that flexibility, roster flexibility by not bringing back either of those players. Like there's a world where it just even if the number is like pretty decent, I think we're all kind of at this point we're like yeah 450 yeah let's give it to Beasley. And I think he highlights he highlighted well the idea that 
it doesn't just necessarily make sense to bring back Beasley and Wantrell because if you do that, you really begin to lock begin locking yourself into a group. And going back to what we were talking about with Rosas and Gupta and the this almost obsession with the ability to sh- constantly reshuffle the deck, I wonder how open if their view behind closed doors doesn't more resemble what Sam was saying. Malik Beasley, whether you like it or not, is the 2020 recipient of the Tyus Jones Award in terms of he's not the hometown kid, but he quickly became a fan favorite. Mm -hmm. He did some things, but everyone wanted to keep Tyus. But when the number got up there and like, I'm not comfortable with that. And he left and there was a lot of backlash. This front office trusts themselves and said, dude, we can just go get Jordan McLaughlin for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like Malik Beasley is the same thing. Now, granted, different position, di- different skill set, probably way more money. But again, like they are not going to paint themselves in the corner because yeah. you and I like him or he's a good fit. Mm-hmm. They want to remain flexible with essentially. I mean, I, I don't know if they subscribe fully to the studs and duds model, but like they're not going to just lock themselves. They will not lock themselves into mediocre players. Right. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think Malik Beasley is awesome and really flourished, but I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I, I thought that was one of – that was probably the most interesting chunk of Vecini's thing was just talking about numbers that he liked those players at, which, of course, yeah, dude, can we get those contracts just signed right now? At, what was it, yeah, 335? Three, 336 was 336, his suggestion, yeah. and he said he'd go as high as 447. But again, and I love Malik Beasley, and I do think he's – you can see a guy like Malik Beasley in these playoffs. Like, you could see him have a, you know, a big leap in a playoff like this, but also, too, like – they're not going to overpay and then just be stuck with it. And I don't know why. I guess I hadn't thought of this. You've probably written about it or talked about it on your pods. But like, I, I've always just thought in terms of trading the pick or all these trades that it's James Johnson because of that salary and then the picks. Mm-hmm. But the Malik Beasley sign-in trade stuff, I mean, that opens you up to a whole nother just like segment of possibilities. And well, it's it'll, and and it's it goes so back hard. to what we were talking about before too with the, the type of players that this front office has – acquired to the stupid Jordan Belton because he's a restricted free agent in the summer. Well, that's the same. It's like, it's that on steroids with Beasley and Hernan Gomez is they went and got these guys because they were entering restricted free agency. They didn't just go get guys on, you know, on an expiring deal to rent them for the rest of this year where the team was already terrible. Like, no, they did this because a player does hold value as a restricted free agent, you know, going into the summer. So it would make, it would make some sense that if the number isn't right, if he's on that like 336, 447, that, you know, no, we're going to do the we're going to do the sign and trade thing. It's why Malcolm Brogdon went to the Pacers last year and they got a first round pick for that. Like it's the same Brogdon was Brogdon was a restricted free agent. So the Bucks held all the cards, right? And and they were able to get a first round in this draft, a first round pick. I think it was Pacers yep. picks like twenty first yep. overall. To not pay Malcolm Brogdon. That to me, that is such a Rosa's move. Yep. And and I wouldn't, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out. And it might be, there might be an element of it that's like this, the summer's all done or the, whenever the offseason's done, we're like, what what really happened here? And you have to be like, oh yeah, we did get that future first for Malik Beasley in that sign and trade. But again, it kind of comes back to the whole idea of the aggregation. Yep. Of yep. the one cent here, two cents there, sort of winning each 
individual transaction thing. And I think it's something we, yeah, we should open our eyes up. And, and they, and of course, when they made that trade, cause it was essentially, again, it was a thousand pieces, but it was, let's say it was essentially Robert Covington for Beasley, Hernan Gomez in that pick. You and know? 17. Yeah. Yeah. It was essentially that, um, when that trade was called in, they already had 92 things on yeah. their whiteboard about, you know what I mean? About like, they were probably in February already thinking about, okay, well, what if we sign and trade him in, in well, now oh. for 2030, whenever we get back to basketball, but like that, that was on their mind. I know for a fact that was discussed. So, I mean, that, that's why I think it's interesting to see it now because you have more intel than you know, a lot of us do, but I, I had never thought of that. I just had kind of thought, you know, because I'm dumb, like they'll either <laughs> they'll either sign him or they'll match him, but they'll never just let him walk. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they'll let him walk. But I mean, yeah, you traded at the time, like what your second best asset, like player wise, Covington. Yeah. Covington. Um, you're not just gonna end up in your no. microtransactions just the 17 pick. Yeah, no way. At worst case scenario, it's gonna be like you said, a sign and trade that now you lost some shooting, but now you have the Pistons 2021 pick. Or now sure. you know what I mean. So yeah, what well, he said, he did. Yeah, he brought up Detroit. You know, some sort of draft pick compensation from them, um, or or Portland, like Ariza and a draft. This, these were all like suggested signing trades by Versini. Portland gives the Wolves Trevor Ariza and a draft pick. Um, he also brought up the Pelicans. They Darius Miller and Nikola Melli aren't much, but they can shoot it. You know, just kind of round out the end of your roster, guys. Plus a pick moves it. By the way, when you read that. If you're like me, you're like, well, that's not sexy. But again, though, it just goes mm-hmm. back to hammering home the point of these microtransactions and the aggregation of just. You know, if you okay. got that first round pick, now you can attach that first round pick to James Johnson. Yes, on top of another first round pick, yes. and now now you're down at the at the negotiation table for a Karis Levert or whoever, and you're like, well, we we ben just picked Simmons. up this extra extra Ben Simmons, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. Now you have more to be able to offer, and that is when I start playing fake GM in my head. I start playing trade machine. I get to it, and I get I start having start looking at what the Wolves can offer. It's like, cool, yeah, we got the guys to be able to match the money, the Johnson, the Culver, the whatever. But you do hit this point where you go, man, with that 2021 pick out, like what are the draft assets that you can attach to Johnson and Culver to go get that guy? And maybe the asset you need to get is that lottery protected first in a sign and trade for Malik Beasley. And I, and I think if you're a fan of the team or Malik Beasley or whatever, that shouldn't scare you what you just said because – if it, you know, I think I think if Tom Thibodeau is running the team still, he's just well, well. We traded for Beasley. We're just gonna whatever we got to do at the negotiation table is probably just him, you know, smacking his head on the wall and then just saying, yeah, we'll give you four sixty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. This this front office isn't gonna do that. So I I have the trust in them. Like I did with. I mean, it sucked to see Tyus go. He was a great guy. You love talking to him in the locker room, but it just made sense. Like imagine, look, there's a good sheet or there's like a breakdown of their salaries. And they're like, imagine if Tyus is $11 million is on that yeah. page. It's just, you know what I mean? It's just a disaster. Well, and I think and from a cap space situation, well, the amount the wolves offered him was like three and a half Tyus. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you, you know, talked about that before, but, and I mean, so that just kind of goes to show that they're like, if we don't love you, we're going to sign you to do it like a Jake Lehman type deal. Right. Not like, once we start getting up into the range where I think Wancho's going to be and even higher where Beasley's going to be, they don't, they don't take a seven plus million dollar, 12, 13, $14 million player on their books for multiple years lightly, nor should they. Which is why this Vecini thing about this sign and trade is, was like, so like an epiphany to me because it's like, they basically don't really slot in those guys on their books for 12, $13 million. You know what I mean? They, they don't have those guys. It doesn't seem like they want to build with those types of contracts. So it's like, well, maybe 
if they can't get, I mean, I know Beasley had turned down a number at the time, but that was all mm-hmm. relative to what we are now and future caps sure, and stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, maybe if it's like a dollar north of three for 36, they're like, no, we just won't do it. And if you can go find that somewhere else and do it, and then if not, we'll bring you back for, I don't know, one year and we'll right. flip you. Just It's just, it's asset management and it sucks because you do get a, t- I, I'm guilty it's of that. It's not sexy. It's certainly not sexy. And, and I'm just more so saying this is the way they think about yep, this stuff. You're right. And again, too, like if you're a fan like me, because I'm just a fan, like you get attached to these guys. So that's what sucks. And you want to see them all get paid and stuff. But that's not how they think. They're three steps ahead, I think, of your average team and your average GM. And um, I thought that, like I said, I thought that was the best part Vecini talked about. I also just felt so bad for Jake Lehman because I think he's been really active this summer being like, I love Minnesota. And then to see him just get slotted as a ninth man was like, best I mean, I, yeah, I was like, that was rude. Um, I apologize, Jake. But uh, or, I, w- I guess, and we forget about him too. That's a nice cheap contract they have him on. Like he's, yep. he could be flipped. You, you could see Lehman's in these playoffs all over the place. Like there are as a ninth moments. man. Yeah. That's why yep. I don't think Sam's wrong. I think that's no, he's not wrong. Right. He just <laughs> slapped me in the face by how rude it was. Cause I was like, Oh, isn't that like our starting small forward maybe? And he, so, so Vicini then did kind of get into, um, you know, setting, you know, setting the bar a little bit higher and, and pursuing the called it star hunting. And I wouldn't really necessarily call these players stars, but he did, he did bring up, you know, the idea of attaching the number one pick to James Johnson and being able to go get a lot of the guys that, you know, I've talked about here before, whether it's, you know, Zach Levine, Buddy Heald, Karis LeVert, Laurie Markkinen, Danilo Gallinari, Davis Bertans, Otto Porter, and even brings up Robert Covington again, are all, all these names that he brought up as, as guys that the Wolves that would be great <laughs> that the Wolves could go out and get um, potentially with that James Johnson contract and draft capital. The one name, and it's one I honestly, I, and I don't really know why I haven't put a lot of like energy into or thought, is is Drew Holiday, and I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out in my like in my own head like why have I ruled that out, and it does make sense in a lot of ways that you know Drew is that type of guard who can play alongside of another lead guard like D'Angelo, right? And Drew can guard like Drew can guard one through four. He's like, I mean, he's like six, four, but I, I remember watching a random, like I just felt like I watched a ton of Pelicans this year because I wanted to watch particularly this game with Zion. I remember this one game where they just decided they're going to put Drew holiday on Kevin love and Drew holiday shut down Kevin love, like stripping him on the perimeter. Then, then Caleb tries like, all right, I'm going to try and do my back end thing on you. And Drew holiday is a freaking fire hydrant. And is like, no, like they, the Pelicans weren't a great defensive team as a group, but like Drew Holiday, like you go, you rip through the clips of him defensively. Like that dude is kind of a perfect fit in, in a team that has like a disadvantage defensively when Towns and Russell are your two players. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Where, where are you at on him? I, I just think, maybe I've kind of fallen into this idea that whoever holiday gets traded to is going to have to like overpay for him. So I haven't considered it much, but on paper, he makes a ton of sense. And I think the interesting thing is again, going back to just my constant rants. So glad you had me. Is that like, remember when the Pelicans did all that? I mean, all their micro, not even micro man, just like max these crazy moves last year. And they had all these pieces. Yeah. And then they just kind of sucked. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And now like, so everyone was just like 
basically they built the bubble for Zion, and then they still sucked. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> when you know when they're done, and you did kind of the like R.I.P. Pelican season postseason report, and it's like. Okay, so Drew Holiday is probably not long term for them because he's got like what, what did Sam say one more year on his deal? Lonzo Ball, like they're looking to move him. Like it kind of went from like they had all these pieces to again like well they might just have Zion and like maybe Brandon Ingram. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like again, I thought that was again not that to just pimp out Sam's piece, but like it was really eye opening because when I saw the Drew Holiday thing, it just reminded me of when you always talk about like the um, the age range or kind of getting that third guy that's in their window and mm-hmm. stuff. But then I thought of like the Bucks, and it's like you have Giannis, who I can't—I don't know if he's twenty-seven or something—but like Eric Bledsoe's thirty, and yeah. Drew Holiday's thirty. You know what I mean? Or, it's like, and Brooke Lopez and, is like thirty-two. And winning teams yeah. need adults. You know, like winning teams need guys. Yeah, so that's a good I mean, point. You look around the league, and like the teams that win, yeah, they might have a young star, this, but they also have just adult. I mean, with the but, heat but okay, even. but I think this might be a good example of something that you or I would do, and find logic in it of get the adult in the room, do do all that. I mean, I've said that, I've heard that, that people I respect say that a bunch of times, but I don't think we know that that is a Rosa's behavior. Like a Rosa, the Rosa's behavior is nailing guys into that timeline, the timeline of the players. And I think, I think that was very much a Sixers thing back in the day when Gupta was there and, and, and Hinky was very timeline oriented and I think the only time in Houston when they deep they started deviating from that when they started bringing in the 15 million dollar players is when they were like ready to go like we're ready to go we got to give Ryan Anderson four years 80 million because he that's going to probably be a bad deal eventually but next year we need Ryan Anderson to stretch the floor around around James Harden Eric Gordon all right we're gonna we're gonna pay him because we're ready to go now and I just think Drew Holiday is an example of that, of like the team that goes and gets Drew Holiday, or if the Wolves were to eventually go get Drew Holiday, I think the rest of the team would be better. Right, but I, but I don't I don't even think you could answer that yet because I don't think we know. Because okay, so this this now just trickles my brain into you have been on the forefronts forever talking about like everyone just wants the Wolves every year to like can we be good this year? Can we be good this year? And you've always said 2021. That's always been your thing. Is summer of 2021. That's when they make the move. You know what I mean? Like we, you can't. We 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 always suck, but we got to suck less in 2020, 2021, and then 2021, 2022. We have to be actually good. It's not suck less, be good. Well, it's like the. I mean, you. I know you play poker, and it's like the. It's the. You're at the final table, right? Yeah. The poker tournament, and like, you're you're trying to wait for for that, like the the hand to get to shove to go all in, right? And you kind of have to do this balance of like. Well, yeah, if I wait for three hours, eventually I'm going to get kings or aces. But at that point, you're going to get blinded off a little bit. Right. And That's a good analogy. So, you know, so at, at some, it's, I think they feel like they can take another year of blinds, right? And, and it, then make, and then 2021, I think, is the time where it's like pushing your chips in the middle there. The return will, will be the, the most efficient or effective. And it, and it gets, I, mean, I know we're kind of probably nearing the end here, but it also gets me to this point of like, you know, would they, I did they ideally want another 24, 25 year old in April? Probably ideally, but with all this speculation of yeah. ownership. And if you maybe feel like your office isn't as secure as it was three months ago, do they make that drew holiday move? Because I think, and I think Sam alluded to it in here too, but going back to 
just a drinking game of saying the word microtransactions. <laughs> um, I think because the Wolves won the lottery, people assume that they're going to cash that ticket in now and try to be really good next season. And I think as Sam alluded to is, what if they don't? And you and Jack have talked about this in all your fake trades, but like, what if, I don't think anyone thought it was sexy when you talked about acquiring picks next year. You know what I mean? Right. But like, they're like, well, no, we got the, we won the lottery day in this year. Like, let's go get Ben Simmons. Let's go get Bradley Beal. Let's go get Devin Booker. And it's like, well, what if the price isn't right right now? Like investing in the stock market. Like, what if it's just not the right time? Like, what if we got to wait till that dip? What if we got to wait till the trade deadline of next mm. season, you know, to like, I don't think winning the lottery means the Wolves are going to star hunt and get that third guy before Christmas this year. Yeah. I think it might mean that they're just going to continue to pick up pieces and pieces and it's not going to be sexy. But then next June, they do go get Ben Simmons or maybe the book. I mean, for all this stuff about the Suns, they've only they won eight games in the bubble. Like they're still really bad. You know what I mean? So it's like, no, well, Devin yeah. Booker's untouchable. But maybe you just kind of wait for that uh, honeymoon period of the bubble to cool off. And if they go back and they're 20 and 62 next year or something, and it's like, okay, now we go get Devin Booker. So yeah. the Drew Holiday thing is obviously like they feel heat to – we got to make Go a move now. now. And but I think that's just why I, th- 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 it doesn't line up in my head. Either just trading for Zach Levine. Like, I love him, <laughs> but, like, Sam, that's just, like, uh, Sam is, he did such a great job. Like, he wasn't reading the room on that. Like, mm-hmm. dude, I'm, I'm so optimistic, but if it's D'Angelo Russell, Zach Levine, Carlton Towns, and then that's two like, Scotty Pippins, like- <laughs> they're still going to go 20 and 62. They're going to be terrible. So don't say that stuff. But it, but it was, he brought up, again, a hundred times over, but like that piece just, if, if, if you've taken a while off from the Timberwolves or you're trying to ramp back up as the, I don't know, when is the draft? Like nine months well, now. Um, I, if, if at nothing else, bookmark that article or start or something because it is the foundational piece of like bringing you up to speed on where this team is, all of their options. Some are more sexy than others. Um, and they might just draft. They might just draft Anthony Edwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they might just say, "Screw it." He he concludes. He concludes the piece and uh, with just this is last little bullet point is when do, when does Towns' contract actually become a real issue? They need to discuss. And he says at least you know at least two years. But he kind of gets to my 2021 thing that I've been saying for a long time. Except he says 2022 and 2023. I, I just want to re- read this. Yeah, he's. This is Sam Bassini. He says, having said that, I do think that Minnesota needs to focus this entire offseason toward building around town so that the, so that they are on the upswing and peaking in 2022-23. In my opinion, all of their moves should be geared towards the 2022 and the 2023 seasons, not necessarily toward success this coming season. Which is like, in ways, totally exactly what I've been saying. But a year or two years later than what I have with the 2021. And where I would push back on Sam here is to go back into my poker analogy that maybe like five people get listening to this is I think if you wait to 2022, you wait till for sure. If you wait to 2023, I don't know, man, that stack of chips is smaller to be able to push in there. And I just, I just ultimately think like, I mean, I don't know. I just don't think Gerson has like three years to be like, we're doing the process again. 
Right, but I I interpreted it as, as not just being shitty until then, and then you know yeah, the process a, is too far. It, not it, tanking. I, I I looked at it through like the eyes of an escalator rather than like an elevator. You know, so like in terms yeah. of just an escalator, monumental. It, like yeah. that's what he's talking about building. Yeah, because if you're calling Anthony Towns and like let's say you're calling Anthony Towns and you feel like I should be able to win a title. Well, if we wait until 2030, I'm only going to be able to win like one title because I'm going to be, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I only have so many right. years left in my life of playing basketball. Um, whereas I think he was talking about just, you know, get better next year. You know, like your pick is top three protected. Try to be in that f- fringe eight spot range. You know, you can still be super flexible. You can still do all this microtransactions mm-hmm. and build and build. But yeah, I mean, the tw- when he said 2022, 2023, my first reaction was we have no idea what the Golden State thing could look like two years from now. I mean, they might go super all in for one or two years and then. So you're interpreting that as like 2022 season or the 2023 season is when they're like a contender when they're the Clippers. Okay. All right. So that's the difference. And that's probably, that's probably what he meant. Because the Clippers are no longer the Clippers probably at that time. You know what I mean? Like the Lakers are not the Lakers anymore. Sure. Um, The Sixers have probably been blown. I just think that's what I read it as, is I thought he was. So what I read it as is that's the time where they make their move, like they, oh, okay. which is my 2021 thing. Of then like, I disagree with him, and I'm with you on that. Yeah, but but you know, I should DM Sam and I'll I'll ask him. But, but like, I I think the idea of like middling at all for the next couple of years, delaying for 2022, God forbid 2023, that does not seem to me to be a something that they could survive. But it's then like, and God, I know we don't want to bring up his name, but like, it's more of a, we always talk about the Houston comparison. We always talk about the Brooklyn comparison. The Brooklyn thing to me was like the elevator in terms of nothing, 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 sixth floor. You know what I mean? Um, But I look at it through this escalator thing of like the Miami Heat. So the Miami Heat built, built, built. They did a ton of microtransactions. I mean, they were doing this stuff with Duncan Robinson and doing all these little things and getting these little pieces. And then they make the move for Jimmy Butler. You know what I mean? So then they kind of take that next leap. And now they're frisky in the playoffs. They could make a finals run, but they're the team that's in the lead for like Victor Oladipo or like if Giannis doesn't stay, you see Miami is like one of the three play. You know what I mean? It's like they're building, 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 trying to be competitive, setting a culture, trying to win playoff series. But then they're also in that mix for that 20, you know what I mean? Taking that right. next leap up. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And, and I think an interesting factor in this specific to the Wolves is like, okay, so like what about next year? Like you have no incentive to be bad next year. None. Right? Protection if you suck okay. really hard in terms of, you know, those yeah. top three picks. But yeah, I know what you mean. I know they, they, they don't. And again, don't. Bring so it's like they should be. So they should be good next year. Like they should be as good as they can be next year. The Wolves. And, and that's, that's a weird sort of thing because I think if they had the 2020, if they had this pick, the 2021 pick that didn't go to Golden State in that one, I think you can make they a pretty strong case for like tanking again. Again, just okay. just to make that sure, like yes, again, again, tanking again. again. Yeah, I but mean, I know, I do you know what you mean. I think if they have that twenty twenty one pick, you're probably looking at this all going back to my whole question. and a lot of the, that class is all, if it's as awesome as yeah. it's supposed to be. But, all but of those I, I think of what you're saying is if they have that protection of all those future picks, and let's say somehow Wiggins is not on the team, but you own your pick and yeah. you have Russell and right. you won the lottery, that then you're like, let's just take Anthony Edwards. Right. I mean, like, let's just let's do another year. We can sell it sure. as the top pick. This awesome backcourt. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we got for a year. Um, but but again, you don't you don't have that now, right? And I think that's why you'll see them. Well, I think that's why next year should be fun. They yeah, and again too though, like, and I 
because you thought this before the Russell thing. I think now that Russell or uh, but the Russell acquisition, where everyone's like, well, Towns is going to be the next star to want to leave. You don't see his name in as much because I don't know what better or worse. Like his best friends on the team, so that's been kind of like a protector of protecting us from all the. I mean, we're always in the rumors of losing our guys. Now yeah. we're in the rumors of like keeping our guys. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just he can't suck yeah. for seven years. I mean, his teams can't suck for seven years, or you're Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then you got to bounce or get a new fresh start. So I took that 2022 thing as more of a, again, going from, yeah, going no, from, that's, a, that's going from like a Nuggets to a Clippers, mm-hmm. not so much going from like a, for AC better words, to going a, from like the pre LeBron Lakers to the AD Lakers yeah, yeah, type yeah. of thing. Sure, sure. No, and yeah, I, I'm very interested. In what happens in that in the meantime between now and 2022, because it will ultimately it will ultimately determine you know whether or not they did something with this Carl Anthony Towns era, or if it will go down as another failed attempt to be relevant and be and be a good team. And I know the more cynical people out there will you know scoff at that and just be like, oh, that should be the assumption. And it's not the assumption for me. And for for me personally, what I get enjoyment out of is the the process of that. It's like I like I like the idea that I'm gonna have a hundred more of these conversations with you or somebody else along the way of as we gather more information. If they do make the Drew Holiday, you know, <laughs> acquisition, or if they draft Lamelo Ball, or if they trade it, or we we're, I'm trying to connect the dots of all the moves that have all happened. Like I think, I think to me that's that's where the enjoyment in in this process comes from. Because ultimately, I believe it's moving in a direction that I support. That I would, if I was for some reason in the front office, this is something I would, I would get behind. And when we're raising hands in the room, like my hand would be up of like, no, I, you know, I, I think, I think we should be this type of franchise, this type of front office. This to me makes sense. As Quite frankly, the only really way you can make a team, a franchise that's as bad as the Minnesota Timberwolves, even have the chance at being a solid NBA team. Yeah, because when Tibbs came in and did it the complete opposite way, he used a completely different textbook on team building. Yeah. They made a playoff run. It felt great to get that monkey after back. And within eight days, five quick playoff games and an elimination, it was even worse than you mm. know what I mean, like it is now. So, I mean, in a, in a typical, this is always the thing I try to tell my friends. They're always like, "Why are you a Wolves fan?" And I don't know. Sometimes I have a mental <laughs> illness. But like, by in a standard year, by the middle of June, twenty nine fan bases are miserable. You know what I mean? Like twenty nine yeah. fan bases are like our team has so many it. issues. Yeah. Um, so I think for a, from a Wolves perspective, I mean, do you hang a banner because you made a playoff series? Probably not. Do you hang a banner because you won a, won the lottery and moved up for the first time in franchise history? No. But like. I don't know, man. I guess I could just, again, optimism, but I just see these like small incremental things of like, they're no longer the team that has the longest playoff drought. They no longer the team that every now year you watch the lottery for the next decade. that's going to be highlighted as, well, this one team's never moved up. So like I just, and again, so they have all these little micro wins in terms of the aggregation of that. And I just think they have the right people in place to make these small decisions that go kind of under the radar and leading up towards the big decision. I think so. I, it's, I think f- for you and I who write about this team, it, there's no shortage of like fodder 
right? <laughs> to like, <laughs> to be able to, to kind of dig into it or think about in, in different ways. And, and in that fodder, I, I think this sounds like you and I being, you know, pretty you know, be behind this process, this idea of what they're doing. But I mean, there's plenty of things along the way that I have, and I will continue to, you know, to rip on as the absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, not saying it's yeah. all just like blind, naive, you but know, it, there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of things that they have done wrong, but I guess, I, I don't know, man. And maybe, and maybe at its core, this whole team is in trouble just because maybe Carl Anthony Towns isn't as good as we hope he could be. And maybe a center in today's NBA just can't really push you there. Maybe, maybe that's ultimately, you know, what it is. And then you're just kind of behind the eight ball. I don't know. I don't, I don't totally believe in that. And I want to just see, I want, I want to see, um, I want to see what happens because I think they have the people in place who are, who have had this Sam Vecini article conversation yeah. around, you know, the front office table months ago. I think because it, like being in a relationship, if you were in one of the shittiest relationships ever and your boyfriend or girlfriend was Tom Thibodeau, like seeing how that all went more than anything, like I said, I, I know this draft's not that good. I know D'Angelo Russell has a lot of flaws. And I know Carl Anthony Towns to a cynic might be just a glorified Kevin Love. You know what I mean? But, um, it's, to me, the reason I have stuck with this team throughout, especially now, and I'm as energized as I am, is because I think, I don't want to say the process, because that's been trademarked in Philly, yeah. but like the, the way they're going about this is how I think, as you just said, mm -hmm. how you go about winning. You know what I mean? The Wolves will never be the Lakers and can just take the best players. They can't elevate her. Right. They're, yeah. They're, yeah they're, 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 better, best thing you said, they, the Wolves can't elevate her. They have to escalate her, and that's this, this group while having, you know, F-ups along the way, I think they see the escalator model of this is the way we do it for a small team that's not on a beach and doesn't have, you know, right. a population of New York. So um, it gives me hope. And that's why, again, I think we're probably on like four hours here. But going back to the beginning, that's why winning the lottery is so important. Because yeah. I just think this conversation and this podcast with me who rants and all this stuff <laughs> – sucks if it's just what do we do with the seven pick <laughs> you know what i mean it's just like yeah cool vassell and i know i don't will i think we've locked we're in an airbnb we've locked will out will deberg but uh it's just you could still get vassell and yeah. a, like a mystery package you know what i mean like and something else so it's a big deal we're gonna we're hyped i know we're gonna lose all that hype because we don't draft again like i said until i turn 35 but <laughs> Um, it's a big moment. And once this thing kicks up again and you start, you know, talking about it more and they've made a deal, um, I think it's a really big moment for the franchise. I'm, I'm with you. Um, again, that's, that's Kyle Tige. He, uh, he runs canisupus.com. Uh, you guys have persevered with daily content throughout a pandemic. Um, yeah. Why don't you just kind of tell people what you guys got going on there? You got a crew of, yeah, we got a good crew. Like I said, we got a good crew. Um, we're trying to just keep things going. We got some links coverage too, um, and the links are obviously doing their thing down in the in the bubble down in Bradenton. Um, but we're just trying to keep it going. And like I said, some of these big things, like the ownership rumors and winning this lottery, I think has rejuvenated not only my, our staff but just you know the community at Canis and the the writers and the fans. And um, again, it's it, no one has to buy into everything they do, as you said pretty eloquently. But uh. If you, if you still like the team and you're not excited or at least hopeful this summer, then I just don't know why you like the team. It's just no. because they finally have gotten some monkeys off their back and they have some things. They have holes. But again, every team now that gets kicked out of the bubble is 
going to have a piece written about them, about their holes. Yeah. So interesting times, interesting times. That's good. And shout out to Jake and Jack and Mike and Josh and Derek that you guys have there. You guys have been, you've been keeping the wolves relevant on the internet during a, during a weird time here. And it's not easy. That's why the wolves just keep posting workout videos. Cause I mean, I feel for the social <laughs> team, it's just all they got. Like I'm not mad at it. It's just, uh, there's nothing else to do. So, but, but good times are coming. Hopefully the draft is I mean, we're tomorrow, September. So hopefully mm-hmm. we're, you know, knock on wood one month away from the draft and then free agency starts what the next day and <laughs> um, it'll, it'll pick up. But again, the fact that they have, whether you think it's, a watered down Powerball ticket or the top prize in a $2 scratch off. I mean, they have something that the best front office I've seen in my lifetime can go and do something with, and they've shown you already their creativity. So we'll see, but again, it's not an out. Like they can mess it up a whole bunch of different ways. And we could be talking about, (laughs) you know, the next GM of the Timberwolves being my guy who lives down the street, David Kahn. So we'll see. (laughs) Again, that's Kyle Tige. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Tige. Kyle, T-H-E-I-G-E. boy. Um, yeah, follow him there. Follow everything that's going on at Canis. Those guys are keeping them relevant. Um, I'll be back on here with another pod. Hopefully we'll have something else relevant to talk to. But until next week, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com